We call it the emerging millionaire method. It's like all the stuff they don't teach you in school. That's exactly what we do. We literally start from the beginning of setting goals and objectives and learning how to set proper ones and, and what the financial process, planning process looks like to things like, what is a Roth IRA? How do I maximize the benefits in my 401k plan? How do I maximize the insurance that I have? Welcome to Give a Heck. I am your host, Dwight Heck, and for much of my life, lived my life in quiet desperation, wondering how I was going to pay the bills, take vacations, save for retirement, and one day wondering if I would get off the hamster wheel of life and have purpose. A life that most of society lives, which takes us to work, then home, then repeat, and pays us hopefully enough just to survive. The harsh truth that most live with more months than money and have no idea how to live life on purpose, not by accident. This ensures the mass majority are living not just financially broke, however emotionally and mentally as well due to financial pressures. In each episode, I will introduce you to thoughts, ideas, and guests that can help you to learn how you too can live life on purpose, not by accident. Good day and welcome to Give a Heck. On today's show, I welcome Jamie Lima. Jamie is the founder and president of Woodson Wealth Management and owner of Alliant. I'm not sure how to spell that. I'm going to even ask you. Allegiant. There you go. Allegiant Divorce Solutions. Thank you. See, participation already, and the guests <laughs> and the, and our listeners get to hear that. Jamie, that's the, the French in you. You you wanted to you wanted to say yeah. it in French. You wanted to say it in French. You wanted to just put your spin on it. I appreciate that. I'll add though, I'm not no French in me. No, <laughs> but that's okay. I am, I, my, uh, my, I'm half French. So just so you know, my, my mother's, my mother's maiden name is LeBeau, right? So, oh, wow. Well, yeah, we'll have to get, you can mention yep. that in, in your origin coming up. So perfect. Jamie's career began with Morgan Stanley in 2006. He later joined Fidelity Investments in 2011, where he was responsible for the oversight of over 1 billion in assets for families and businesses. During his tenure with Fidelity, he also spent several years coaching and training fellow associates nationally with a focus on Southern California region. To that end, he brings over 20 years of financial education and hands-on experience in the financial services industry. Jamie holds an MBA, has been a certified financial planner for nearly a decade. He is also a certified divorce financial analyst. Jamie loves helping his clients make complex financial decisions and making the puzzle pieces fit for them. The financial planning process can seem like an overwhelming exercise, but it doesn't have to be. Outside of work, Jamie and his wife, Dawn, spend a lot of time in their Jeep, off-roading, working around their farm in Ramona, California, and trying to keep up with their five, yes, five kids. I'd like to welcome you to the show, Jamie. Thanks so much for agreeing to come on and share with us some of your life journey. Thank you so much for having me. Fantastic, man. I'm looking forward to it. By the way, I have five kids too, so. <laughs> yeah, so you, feel, you feel the pain. Yeah, the pain. I, I felt the pain. Four daughters and a son. Oh, yeah, four girls. I, four and, then I, and then I, I raised him as a single dad. Um, three of the two were in their teenage years already when I got full-time custody of them. And, and yeah, that's why I'm bald, just so you know. 
Yeah, well, that's, <laughs> if, if you're uh, for the list for the listeners that are not uh, watching this, watching this the video recording of this, the uh, there's definitely some gray in my beard too, and it it didn't always come from the stock market. So, well, oh, <laughs> yeah, I've done research on that on on issues of gray and stress and anxiety and depression. Since you brought that up, it is real. Absolutely. And it doesn't go 100%. back either. It doesn't go back the other way. No. Right. No, it does so, not. yeah, you, 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 those watching you that are new, the old, my, you know, loyal listeners, they know that I'm bald, right? I got a little bit of hair on the side, but mostly, you know, I, all I got left for me is my humor and my good looks. Well, you know, it could be worse. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Jamie, one of the things I talked about that I like focusing on. It's a person's origin story. For those new to the show, I focus on the origin story because our lives are more than just what happens after we finish grade school, right? And go to college, university, or whether or not you did or didn't isn't the point. Our lives are a combination of lessons, mistakes, and we we push forward and we learn from them. And I find that the more people here my fabulous guests like Jamie's origin, the more they're able to connect. So Jamie, could you do me a favor and share with me things from your childhood to adulthood that led you to where you're at currently? Uh, great question. And there's a, there's a lot to unpack there, but I'll, I'll certainly, uh, certainly do my best to share, you know, kind of what brought me to where I am today. And I, I think if you go way back in the time machine, um, I think that the, the earliest memories I have of, Thinking about money and finance is what I do for for a living here. Um, it was it was when my parents were divorced at an early age. I was I was probably seven or eight years old. Uh, so it's my it was my just the four of us. So it was my my mother, my father, and my sister who who um, who was just a few years younger than me. She's a July Fourth baby, so that's the the family's little firecracker. Um, she'll be. She'll, I'll make sure I send this to her so she can make sure she gets the. She, she sees the plug there, but, um, <laughs> so we were, we were relatively young. I mean, she was probably two or three years old. I was call it seven or eight years old or so. My parent parents decided that they had wanted to get a divorce and, you know, I didn't really understand it at that time. I just understood that, you know, like they weren't going to be together anymore. Dad wasn't going to be around as much anymore. He was going to kind of go do his own thing. But one of the, one of the most striking things that I, I, I talk about this in, in a lot of my uh, conversations with existing clients, and, and I, I brought it up in other podcasts that I've been on too. And there was a time in, in, that, in that seven or eight year old uh, mind of mine that I remember one of my best friends, his name is Richard. Uh, we, were, we were basically in diapers together. We were very, very good friends at an early age and still are. We're still uh, great friends today. And his family, uh, his mother in particular, brought over a box of groceries. And I don't know if you remember the the Dole banana boxes when you go to the grocery yep, store. Absolutely. Dole boxes, you know, they're like two by three and, you know, they held all the bananas. And I remember that box being, you know, put on the counter and just full of groceries to help us fill our pantry. And, and that instant, I knew, wow, things are really tough. Right. Like maybe mom's not letting on how tough they are. Maybe, you know, dad, you know, is, is struggling to try to now keep up with two, two households. And I, you know, I, I didn't, probably, I didn't really think about it too much. Uh, I mean, I, I would think about it sporadically, but I wouldn't think about it too much until I, 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 I was an adult myself and realized how, how impactful that was to me and really just drove me to where I am today. And, and I think we, as we, as humans, 
sometimes we gravitate to the thing that we don't have in our lives, right? Like, you know, whether it's a dopamine addiction where we want to go out, we have, you know, we're gambling or doing this, that, and the other. Um, maybe um, there's a hole in our lives that we're trying looking to fill and that we fill that through gravitating towards relationships that aren't beneficial to us or what have you. In my life, it was, I was always worried about money. I was always worried about money. I was worried about being able to, um, are we going to be able to, are we going to have a house to, to live in? Are we going to, is dad going to be able to keep up with things? Is mom going to be able to keep up with things? Because I saw her, I mean, she worked, she didn't really have, she didn't have a great education. She didn't have a, a great upbringing herself. So she was a single mom trying to raise two kids. And she did everything from working in the local pharmacy to cleaning houses just to be able to, to put food on our table. And those experiences at the age of seven or eight effectively shaped who I am as a 45 year old man here today, who has a 20 year, uh, 20 year career in the financial services industry. And one of the things that I always go back to, if you fast forward to where I am today, the one thing I always go back to is we, 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 as a, as a company, as a firm, as a, as a, me, as a financial planner, we are trying to do whatever we can to eliminate those types of stressors in our clients' lives. And that's, that's effectively what, what drives me today. And, you know, in a lot of those experiences, we, and we, we can talk a little bit more about, you know, like how I got into the financial services industry and so on, but that's those experiences there really just shaped who I am and really put me early on. I knew that I was going to want to make sure I learned about money and, and then that's how I got into investing, which then morphed into how I actually got into a career of financial planning and so on. Well, yeah, there's, there's always indicators. The difference is, so as you've actually, as you mentioned, you had that realization as an adult, you know, the dull banana box and just those, those ingrained memories that cause us, if we choose when we get older to realize mm -hmm. what, what, what went on in my life? What can I, what, what don't I want that the pattern behaviors of my parents, whether it was intentional or unintentional, your parents taught you behaviors and patterns that you picked up on. And one of them was scarcity mindset. And, and that's, that's real. I see that all the time. I'm 21 mm -hmm. years into my, into my uh, finance planning agency. And literally I see that all the time. And I think about myself growing up, my father, we were, we grew up, poor but we weren't poor if that makes sense mm -hmm. my dad grew up as one of 18 kids my mom was one of nine and so everything for him was a scarcity mindset so my mom lived on a strict budget we weren't we weren't don't get me wrong we lived a good life we had a roof over our head you know shelter we had the basic necessities but nothing extraordinary all my friends going on these vacations, going and doing fancy things, parents buying fancy things. The difference is, is my dad had the money to do it. They didn't. They lived a life mm -hmm. of credit, which as an adult, I realized that's the problem with our society is lack of education, a lack of realization of what they don't want from their childhood. And what are they going to do to get away from that? that scarcity mindset or that lack of money in your life was a driver for you for your success and where you are today. And in a lot of ways, that's great. And I say that because 
most people are going to stay on the hamster wheel of life right from their young childhood into adulthood and for the rest of their lives and not have that realization of of the childhood things the traumas because they are a form of a trauma whether it's a harsh or if it's mild it's still a trauma on your life like the realization you know of being worried about money and that's not a great thing i used to do the same thing because that's the way we lived in the state of our life right we were afraid to ask for things at least i was mm -hmm. not sure about my two older sisters so good for you of having that realization so let's before we go on to any of the questions, so tell me a little bit about it then. You were saying that you would share in regards to the process mm -hmm. of what got you from, let's say, a high school and then right to where you are. Go ahead and share what you feel is you're comfortable with in regards to your, your schooling and stuff. And, yeah, and, and, and I'll, I'll, I, you, you, you mentioned one thing that I think is important here about the, that sure. scarcity mindset, um, and I'll, then I'll answer that, that question. The The... My, my and, and again, nothing, you know, nothing against my parents. I mean, they, they, my dad worked two jobs and, and I, you know, it was just one of those things where for me, if I, and to your point, my, my family, they had enough, they had money to care for us and, and do it, but it was, it, they couldn't take it to the next level. Right. I wasn't going to have the fancy car. I was going to have the, you know, the, the super nice clothes and, and, and all the trendy things that, you know, probably your kids and my kids had the benefit of, of, oh, of course, experience yeah. in their lives. So that's what I, I started. I started having my first job at the age of 13. And I know you're in Canada, so you can probably appreciate this, but we, I had, I had my, one of my uncles actually owned an oil company. So we did oil delivery, home, home fuel. So in New England, oh, wow, yeah. And that, and I used to work on the truck at the age of 13 and they called me the hose dog. I was the guy that would jump out of the truck. I'd take the hose off the truck and I would in the, you know, knee deep snow, whatever it was. And I would bring it to the house, put the fuel into the house so people could have heat. And then roll the hose back up, you know, make sure I, I took payment from all the customers and everything else. So I learned customer service and all these amazing lessons doing that. But it was, it was an amazing experience uh, in my life. And I, I, I talk about it and think about it a lot today because it, it taught me how to be a man and have a job and all these things. And, but it was also in, in many ways out of necessity because if I wanted, I, if I wanted to have a car and I wanted to take my girlfriend out to, you know, on the weekend, or if I wanted to have the nice clothes, so I didn't, I didn't. I didn't have to worry about getting picked on at school. I had to do those things. And that's really what you know, ultimately uh, drove my, my focus in, in many ways on, on the financial uh, services field. But that's but, a great life lesson, though. So even before 100%. you go away from that, I started my, my dad. Again, they give us what we needed. He could afford to take us to the next level. He just didn't because this mm -hmm. scarcity mindset, and which was fine. I look back at it. I'd learned lots of lessons because of the way he, he raised us. I was, I was a kid there in the summer that, <clears throat> excuse me, come work with me. You're not, yeah. you're not taking the summer off. You're coming yeah. to work. You know, you come to the shop. You got to go help the mechanics, go push a broom, go hand them tools, you know, and you're not getting treated better just because you're my kid. You got to earn better treatment. You got to show mm -hmm. your worth. And on top of that, I started my first job at 12. I had a couple paper routes because yeah. my dad was like, we only, I only need to give you these things, shelter, food, love. The rest yeah. is up to you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I got a paper route and I wanted to be able to buy things, comic books, whatever, when you're 12. Baseball cards. You I mean, know? I, did this, I bought yeah. my, I bought Hockey a bike. Cards. I, yeah. It was amazing. And, and I, I, I they paid lessons. me well. 
Yeah, they paid me well because it was hard work. I mean, we were up at five o'clock, four o'clock, five o'clock in the morning, filling up that truck with fuel and wow. driving all driving all over New England. Uh, well, I shouldn't say New England, but Rhode Island, Massachusetts, and some parts oh, yeah. of Connecticut. We would drive all, you know, and drive all day long. And that would be maybe 12, 14, 16 hour days sometimes. I, I only did it on the um, child labor laws, you know, don't tell anybody about it. But um, <laughs> yeah, we, uh, listeners, when, uh, mute it. Don't listen yeah, to this. Yeah, part. scratch that from your memory that I worked 14 hours <laughs> on a Saturday. But they, it was an amazing lesson. And and I look back now and, and I, I think that's, you know, part of me, um, that's why we've, you know, I've, I've given my stepson some experience in my business so we can learn how things go. I mean, I don't force him to do anything, but he, he has had a little bit of an interest in it. So I wanted to give him some exposure to how, how what we do. Um, and then if the, you know, along the way, if some of the other kids decide that they have an, an inclination for this type of work that we do, I'll bring them in show them the ropes and, and hopefully teach him some lessons that way as well. But, um, well, you know what, you're a better person for having done that. I'm a better person from my experiences going from doing the paper route to my dad by 13, 14, come here, you're working for the summers and, I grumbled and this and that, mm-hmm. but I actually wrote about it in my book. And I talk about the fact there's a little seg- little small segment where I talk about the value of being a paper boy and then working for my dad and, and having that realization once I was in my twenties, uh, all the lessons that I learned, yeah. right? Like the untaught lessons, the unintentional taught lessons that you pick up on on customer service, how to treat, how he treated his customers because he owned a farm implement dealership dealing with farmers, which are mm-hmm. love you farmers, but you're some of the most difficult clients to deal with on the planet. It's either too much rain, not enough rain, this and that, like mm-hmm. you live in, you, you live in a constant state of panic. And and I feel bad for farmers because without them, we'd be screwed in this world. But yeah, bottom line, you know, I appreciate you sharing that. I like the commonality that we both started and we were like, you're coming to work because if you want something, you know, like my dad would say, okay, I, can I have this weekend off? Well, oh, I thought you wanted stuff, right? Yeah. I thought you were saving for some. Okay. Cause I'd have to work every weekend with him on a Saturday. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Sundays yeah. come down, you know, after church, you know, Dwight, you want to come? I'm going to make a few extra bucks. Oh, no, I want to take the afternoon. Okay. And sometimes I'd, he'd leave and I'd be like, oh, I should have gone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. It's a life lesson, right? Yeah, absolutely. Life lessons. And I, I think the, to well, you had asked about education and, and yeah, um, please share the, I wasn't, I was not a great student in school. Uh, I was, I was definitely not a good student. I, um, I was, I was pretty good up until high school. I was pretty good up until high school. I mean, I was even, I was even in some gifted courses and things of that nature. I, I, I feel like that was mostly because my grandmother was the secretary for the superintendent of the school and she might've had a little bit of an in and, and I didn't buy, I didn't mind because there were some cute girls in that, in that class that I took. So that was, that was fine with me. Um, but I was not gifted. I don't, I think I had a definitely not gifted, maybe bored um, was a better word. And, and I, and, they were like, oh, he's gifted. He needs to be challenged. I probably just needed to be smacked aside the head and told to <laughs> put my, bury my nose a little bit further in the books and do a little bit better job of studying. Uh, and then when I, when I got into high school, the wheels, the wheels kind of fell off a little bit. Um, uh, my relationship with my father went a little bit sideways. Uh, we're, we're ama- we have an amazing relationship now, but it was probably teenage years. You know, I didn't really want to have anything to do with him and he, and, and, uh, some teenage angst was going on there. 
And then um, yeah, I had a few girlfriends that would distract me. Um, they're amazing people. Don't get me wrong, for sure. Um, and some of them, I have a couple of people that I've, I'm still in contact with that were all really good friends, even to this day. But, you know, I just wasn't focused on school. I was focused on other things. I wanted to play sports and I wanted to chase girls and I wanted to you know, spend my money that I was making on the weekends. And I had a job and car and all this other stuff. And I just wasn't focused on, on school. And, and that set me back a little bit. So I, I um, decided to I spent a couple, couple of years at community college back in Rhode Island and, and finished a couple of years there. But I, I, I knew early on that I was not a cold weather person and I just couldn't, I couldn't take the winters. You know, I just, it was just very depressing and very gloomy and, you know, waking up in the morning and shoveling your car, shoveling your way to the car to warm it up for a half an hour, to drive to work for half an hour, to wash, rinse, and repeat, to do it the next day. I knew that that wasn't where I wanted to be. So, had the the Richard, who is my one of my best friends, the same family that brought me the Dole uh, banana box. Um, he ended up moving to uh, San Diego, California, when we were in, probably a sophomore or junior in high school somewhere in that age range. Uh, he finished college and here in San Diego. And it was one of those things where he was just like, Hey, like, why don't you come hang out? And I spent some time here in San Diego and I felt like the streets were paved with gold compared to where I grew up. And I made it a goal of mine to, to make it out to the West coast. Um, I went back, shoveled home, shovel snow one winter, I think. And then just I worked for for a few more months, try to save up as much money as I could, and I took the fifteen hundred dollars that I had saved and everything I owned in my car and drove west without ever turning back. Wow! Yeah, I so that. I worked. Um, I worked as a bellman at the Marriott. I worked in restaurants. I can't even remember the other jobs that I did, but uh, that's that's where I, what I did to keep myself out here and do what I could to not have to go back with my tail between my legs, and. Uh, but after about five years of working in the restaurant industry, I knew, okay, I'm either going to be in the restaurant business for the rest of my life, or I need to do something else. And I had met my now ex-wife at that time. And we started to raise, you know, we were, we, I think we had, I think we had my oldest at that point. And I knew like, okay, I, I need to put my big boy pants on here and do some, do something different because being up till midnight or one o'clock in the morning to close the restaurant, to get back up at four o'clock in the morning, to open it in, uh, in the rest, you know, morning was not going to be a satisfier for my then marriage and my kids. Uh, and I had always, again, I had always had a passion for investing. I had started doing dabbling a little bit and learning more about stocks and bonds and that type of thing. And I decided I was going to finish my degree in finance. So I went, went back to school, finished my finished the last couple of years of school and got my degree in finance and effectively just started banging out the phones and knocking on doors and sending out resumes wherever I could. And luckily enough, Morgan Stanley uh, decided to hire me uh, and I took whatever job they were going to give me because I wanted to get my, my foot in the door in that in this field. So 2005, 2006-ish, I uh, took a job with Morgan Stanley and I was just an administrative person. I opened accounts and account transfers and I did some trading and not the, not the wolf, it certainly wasn't the wolf of Wall Street by any stretch of the imagination. And um, yeah, and then that's, that's ultimately what launched me into this career. So it was uh, an amazing experience for sure. Well, I like the, the, the theme I, I get through this and I, I find this with a lot of the uh, amazing guests I have on is the people decide 
without even realizing to be tenacious. You led a tenacious life. You weren't willing to, and, and I, I'm not trying to hurt those in this life that have settled. Mm-hmm. Your definition of settle and mine are different. I'm on the climb. You're happy where you're at. You're camp. That's great. But Jamie, you're a person that's tenacious. You you may have gone through different things in your life and had that realization, like when you went and hung out and thought the streets were paved with gold in San Diego, you go back home and it's like, screw this. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I'm going to do whatever it takes. And I'm going to get to San Diego Again, do whatever it takes. To me, tenacity is one of the, that to me is a superpower for people. It really is, right? To be tenacious, to not, to, because people listening, to be successful in life involves failure. Failure is not a bad thing. It's a stepping stone to success. You need to be willing to skin your knee. The difference between somebody that skins their knee and decides, oh, I don't want to hurt myself again, and they become camped Mm -hmm. in their mindset, that's great for them. But for Jamie and myself and many other people, we're tenacious. We're getting up. We're going to let the blood trickle down, and we're going forward again. We don't care. Put a Band-Aid on it. We're going to be somebody that's going to always achieve what we want, our dreams and aspirations, whether they're driven, again, by your origin of scarcity mindset, of mom and dad not being able to bring uh, you know, everything you want to the table or your friend Richard's family bringing that box, all of it made your tenacious drive and somebody that look at how successful you are and your family has benefited from it. Obviously, throughout that period, you talked about divorce and, you know, I wish I knew, I wish I had me back when I was mm-hmm. first married, right? Before I got divorced, I would have been way better off because I think, so many of us need to have mentors like you and I to understand the rules of the money game. And we Absolutely. just don't have it. Right. Yeah. And they don't, cause they, they don't teach you this stuff in school. None. They don't teach you this stuff in None. school. That's, and that's the reality of it. And I think as you were, as you were talking, I think there, there are two lessons that it, people should take away from this segment of our conversation. The first is you can't look at somebody else's situation and compare it to your own. And we, and I do this all the time. I'm constantly, I, I battle with uh, imposter syndrome. I battle with, am I good enough to do this? I battle with that person is getting much f- further ahead than I am all the time. And you have to remind yourself that, like you just said, like this is, this, this might be your base camp and maybe you just need to camp out here for a little bit. And then just so you can take the next leg up. And if I look back and this is nothing against anybody I went to school with. You know, I mean, I, I think I, I have amazing relationships and friends and and new experiences with all these people. But there are so many people that I, as I'm scrolling through Facebook, right? Just like yeah, we all do, right? Scroll through Facebook, scroll through Facebook. And I see so many people that I compared myself to in high school, thinking I wasn't good enough. I wasn't going to be able to get where they are. You know, they had all the girls, they had the great car, they had the money, or they were the best athlete, or they did all these things. And you look back at them now, and not that I'm anybody special, but where they are, where I am, are in completely different levels. You know, between between the education and the experience and the knowledge and the business acumen and all the other stuff that I've been able to teach myself and learn over the years, some of those people that I used to look up to are still going to the same bar on Friday night that they went to when they were 21 and 25 and 30 and 37. It's this, and they're still stopping at the same one stoplight that we had in our little town. And they're doing the same thing that they did 
And they're, they've been at that base camp for 30 years. And no realization. No realization. So, yeah. so anybody that's listening that it feels like they're not good enough, that just doesn't, maybe you don't even have the energy to just get up and keep trying. You've got to find it because you, those people will be left in the rearview mirror if you can just put one foot in front of the other. Well, and and that's why the rearview mirror is smaller than the windshield. Bingo. Right. 100%. 100%. Keep this stuff behind you. Yeah. I am not going to, I, one of, one of my best friends and, and, and a a girl, one of my girlfriends in in high school, one of the things, one of the best things I ever learned was from her. And she said, I will, I never, I will never go backwards. Right. And I, and I, and I, I thought about it then and it kind of hurt because, you know, I realized like, okay, she's like, I'm never going to get back together with you, which was, which was disheartening, but um, a blessing in disguise anyway. But um, when she said that, I was like, wow, that's, that's pretty powerful. Even, and that's one of those things you, yeah, you just, you, you should be, you you don't, you do not want to be driving down the road, looking out the rear, the the windshield or the the rear windshield. You need to be always looking for it. And now I forgot my second thing. I said, (laughs) I had a really good, you had, you mentioned something else and then, and then I, and now I'm on this tangent. Well, you uh, talked, you talked about, you know, don't quit, that you compare yourself and you still have that problem with imposter syndrome. I, I suffer the same things you're talking about. Yeah. I don't know what your second point was going to be. The second point the second point was to, to, to your comment about just dusting yourself off and, you know, and, and, and you know, slap a bandaid on it and move on. It, it, I see it happen all the time where people hit these, hit these roadblocks and these setbacks in their life. And then it's kind of like, Oh, woe is me. And I'm just going to sit here and muddle in this. And then, you know, a day of, 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 of muddling in it, it turns into a week and then a month and then they can't get out of their own way. It's like, you have got to find the energy some way, somehow to be able to get up and put the, put one foot in front of the ne- another next day. My rule for myself, if I've had a bad day or, you know, I don't know, or I'm just not feeling it in the day, that day, I'm like, I'm not going to make any decisions today. I'm not going to make any important decisions. I'm going to do what I have to do. I'm going to get the rest that I need to get. And then 99% of the time I wake up the next day, I feel much better and I can make those decisions that I need to make and I can put my, and, and move, move forward. Um, it's not always easy, but that's, that's the one thing that I, I try to do all the time. Um, especially owning multiple businesses, it can be challenging. It can be like, there are some days where you just wake up, you're like, okay, I wish I could just stay in bed today, but you can't, you know? And so you, you do, you do what you can to get through the day. You don't wallow in it. You don't feel bad about yourself. You're just like, this is just the day I'm having. Everybody has them. Now we have to move on. And, um, that's been super helpful for me over the, over the. Well, and that that's, you know, it's, it's true though. See, with me, I am now in my fifth year of, because I'm also a lifestyle coach mm-hmm. along with my practice. And I literally have conditioned myself through training, through realization, through, you know, having those aha moments, fighting past imposter syndrome, the list goes on. I literally do not tell myself ever now that I have a bad day. <laughs> even from the loss of people close to me a few years back when I lost my granddaughter to losing other people Mm. in my life, I literally have to fight past that thing that we're conditionally taught from youth that we hear around us all the time from our family, friends, work associates. I'm having a bad day. 
you know why I found that I had one day I had this realization after having a conversation with a group of people in a mastermind and we were talking about it and I said well what we tell ourselves is so powerful our brain does not know the difference between a truth and a lie so yeah. I'm not going to tell myself anymore that I'm having a bad day when I have circumstances come up and I wake up like you're talking about happens to me too and my gratefulness exercises just don't seem to be working and I'm having that, you know, a challenge. I say to myself, you're having a bad moment. Check mm. yourself out, quit working, go over here, time yourself out. Yep. And I coach people on how to time themselves out and what their period of time out needs to be. Everybody's different. We're all unique, mm. just like our fingerprints. And I literally now, if I even find that creeping and you know what listeners and people watching, it takes time, any habit, good habit, bad habit, it takes time to integrate my brain now automatically says it gives me a mental slap itself it says you're not having a bad day you're having a bad moment you just took away from the fact that you had a great client call an hour ago and that client was just praising you you know oh you're so good thank you for helping our family or a business owner saying i never thought about this now i can do this in my business and mm. you know i hear that from you and it still gives me like that anxiety, that tight chest, because I know I could easily slip backwards. Yeah. So those listening and watching, don't think Jamie and I have it figured out. We have to constantly work at ourselves, like oh. he's saying, you know, to suck it up. I, and people hate that term, suck. Well, it is. It's true. Suck it up. My dad used to always say that. Oh, you got this going on. That's terrible. You still have all these people or all these circumstances that require you to be engaged between your six inches between your ears. Suck it up. Right. And sometimes I couldn't. And then he just go, okay, like, you know, go away then. <laughs> right. Yeah. I don't need yeah. this around me. And, and, and as an adult, I look back at all these lessons and I listen to you talk and I appreciate the fact of your tenacity again, because that it all goes back to your tenacious or you would stay in bed. You'd be that Absolutely. person. That even, even if yeah. it was just to be camp for a day, you could do it. It's not like your businesses are going to fall apart, but you've conditioned yourself to realize that other people are counting on you. And in order for them to count on you, you got to count on yourself. So you suck it up and away you go. Yeah. It just doesn't feel good to wallow anyway. You know? It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't. So Jamie, you know, 20 plus years helping individuals understand the rules of the money game rules that should be taught to everyone from a very young age. We talked about it earlier, all the way to present age as the basics stay the same in, in the rules of the money game, which most people don't even understand the basics. However, things get, things change in financial planning. Things change with financial products and even people that understand the basics still need to brush up on it and that's our responsibility to help them what is the easiest solution do you believe to break the generational cycle that has been going on for decades in the lack of financial education that's a great question uh i i feel like i guess there's two parts to this one what the system can do and then what we can do as individuals that what the system can do is spend more time educating people on this stuff Right. Like if I look back, even going through, I took looking at high school. I, I I don't know about anybody else, but I didn't learn a whole heck of a lot in high school. They taught us. For me, it was badminton. 
right? Cross country skiing. Those are the things that I remember from high school that it wasn't, you know, I, I took wood shop. I took, you know, some cooking, like, um, uh, home learned how to sew. Right? <laughs> right? I learned how to, I learned how to make a pillow. I learned how to make a pillow <laughs> too, and cook too. probably macaroni and cheese or something. It was, yeah, yeah. Like, I, and, and nothing, not taking anything away from teachers. They have an amazingly difficult job to do, but the system is broken. People are coming out. People are coming out of high school. They don't know how to manage. You know, if if they have at that point, they probably most people coming out of high school probably have jobs and early on, they don't know how that they can set themselves up with a Roth IRA because with the first dollar that they make and learn how to save today for the fifty years into the future when they're going to need that money and how much of an impact even just saving a hundred dollars into a Roth IRA today would have on their future selves. 30, 40, 50 years in the future. They don't teach you that stuff. They teach you, again, I learned how to play badminton like nobody's business. And it, and that, that's about it. I, it when I, even when I got into college, I, took, I majored in finance. In half of my courses, maybe even three quarters of my courses had nothing to do with the financial world. Right. It was a, I, maybe some accounting, but I took business law. We had to, we had to take a history course. We had to take a, you know, all our general eds and all this. Stuff. So basically they're making up for the stuff that we didn't learn in high school. And they're trying to teach they're trying to cram it into four years of college. And then, Oh, by the way, we're going to sprinkle in some courses relative to your degree. And then we're going to hand you that degree. I didn't even start learning how to do this work until I actually got into it and was hands-on with it. And, and that's, that. I don't know how to fix it. I don't, I'm not, I don't have all the answers. I'm just sharing from my experience because, and, and I talk with, I mean, I've, I've probably had a thousand plus clients over the last 20 years of my life that I've worked with, with the, the, the 700 or so during my couple stints with, with Fidelity and then Morgan Stanley. And then now the clients that I'm working with now, you're probably a thousand people that I've helped with financial planning. It's the same theme across all of them. <laughs> they, they'll, they'll, and I think if I, you, if you surveyed all of them, they would say the same thing. Like I didn't learn how to build wealth until well after, you know, the, the actual formal education uh, phase of my life. What we can do as individuals is take the onus upon ourselves because again, they're not going to teach you this stuff in school and try to learn as much as we possibly can in this day and age with YouTube and Instagram and all the resources that are available. There's no re the basics that we, we should, we shouldn't be able to learn the base there, right? Um, you know, Khan Academy and all these different websites that are out there. There's so much basic, basic financial planning tools and resources that are out there that are available at, at your fingertips. We, as a firm, we do a four day webinar series. Um, it's not, I shouldn't say day. It's, that's not the right way. It's actually a four hour webinar series that we do. That's that's broken up over four days. And we call it the emerging millionaire method. It's like all the stuff they don't teach you in school. That's exactly what we do. We literally start from the beginning of setting goals and objectives and learning how to set proper ones and, and what the financial process, planning process looks like to things like, what is a Roth IRA? How do I maximize the benefits in my 401k plan? How do I maximize the insurance that I have? But then we look at things like, even the even the morbid things like estate planning, wills and trusts, and things of that nature that people don't want to talk about. And then the fourth, the fourth uh, uh, class or course in that in a series is all about just tying it all together and helping you build your first financial plan. Right? The resources are out there; they, they just need to know where to find them and be able to to leverage them.
And that's, that's awesome. I do, I have a five workshop series that I okay. developed and I've been using since, well, pretty much 21 years. I've actually been revamping it and obviously things change. The worst thing to do is go to a financial conference and they're guys bring up slides and go, Oh, that's wrong. This is the new stuff. Well, change the damn thing. Now, yeah. like put some effort into what you're doing, but I completely concur with what you're talking about. If the the power of a hundred dollars, the power of even teaching in, in high school, like how about the fact that we teach the simple aspect of budgeting your life? If you make a dollar, don't spend a dollar fifty unless it's a need versus a want. What's the differences between a need and a want? Teach that to kids in high school mm -hmm. and teach them the, the, the fact of what compounding interest is. And you know what? If you make a dollar, learn to save 20 cents and live off 80 cents. Budget 80 cents and live and save 20. Save first, worry about living after the fact mm -hmm. so that you can. And people go, that's impossible. No, it's not. Yeah. 21 years I've been helping people do it. And if people had taught me, I would have had a better marriage. I would have had a better life initially being, you know, I'm in my twenties. I'm, you know, later twenties, six figure income earner. Yet I was broke. I was living yeah. hand to mouth more month than money for those people that are new to the show. What more month than money means you're 15, 20 days in the month. And now you're in lines of credits. You're in overdraft. You're using mm -hmm. a credit card just to survive. Yeah. And it could have all been taught the basics in high school. It really could have. It could have even started some of this. Some of the stuff could have started in middle school, even, right? Absolutely. Excellent. How about they teach you about taxes? Oh, anything. Everybody deals with taxes. Nobody knows how to manage them. And but and you know what? Another thing is though, people hate taxes. And I look at them and I'll go, you know what? I'm not against taxes. And they'll go, what? Well, I like having hospitals i like having police i, la I like having fire department yeah. i like having this and that at clean water and stuff that all costs money and as a participant in society i have a responsibility to help pay for that so i'm not against taxes i'm against the over taxation of people to help the wealthy hold on to their wealth like the middle class and poor they don't understand the rules of the money game they don't understand how to you know work a life that they can efficiently pay a, a, a fair amount of taxes and move on. Absolutely. They, just, they don't get it. Right. We could talk about this forever, <laughs> but you know, I appreciate, you know, your input. So what are some of the initial lessons? You know, I, I read some stuff up on you and you like dealing with younger people. So what would be initial lessons you would actually teach somebody like, let's say still in younger grade school to grasp the concepts of money and the things they can do with it as they go into their adult years? It's it's the same thing we would start anybody off. And most of, most of the engagements that we start off with, we simply go back to managing cash flow. It seems very elementary, but and again, we can talk about this for, for the next three hours if you want to, but the... <laughs> Cause there's a lot to, a lot to unpack here, but whether, whether you're in you know, middle school, whether you're in high school, whether you're coming to us as a new client, we, we, we spend a lot of time in the early phases of our relationship with, with these folks on just learning what's coming in, what's going out and, not, and also taking it maybe a step further of like, what does money mean to you? What, what is it going to, what, what, what is, how do you feel about money? What are the goals and objectives you have with it? What is, what does money mean to you? Because everybody's it, money means different things to different people. 
for some people it's safety and security. Other people it's a means to an end. Other people it's um, uh, the ability to take their life to the next level. Uh, I have a husband and wife I talked to last night. The main theme across the entire conversation last night was money brings us peace. And, and man, I should take it back. Mo managing money the right way will bring us peace. And, and that's powerful. So really just taking a step back and looking at what does, what do I want the money that I earn to do for me? Then you can figure out how to give that money a job. How much do I need to put towards that goal that I have? How much money do I need to cover the necessities that we have? How much money do I need to put towards the fun things that we want to do with our lives? Because it's not all. And I think if you asked every one of our clients in any conversation I've had, I never told them that they cannot spend money to enjoy their lives. It's, it's the, it's the misnomer of, of maybe working with a financial planner because you think that we're just going to tell you that you're, you're not managing it correctly. And, and, and well, people hate budgeting. Let's be real. They yeah, hate the word. They, budgeting. Hate, they hate the word budgeting. It's a time. But yet you live effort. a better life for that. You just do. You live a better I, life I, understanding inflows and outflows. You a thousand percent. I, I tell the story all the time and I'm actually going to meet with this gentleman on Thursday this week. He's an amazing kid. He's uh, one of my, one of our, or one of the first clients that came to the firm He's probably, I'm, I'm, I'm not looking at his uh, information right now. So 27, 28 years old, uh, really cool kid. And when he came to us, he, he was about 500 or $600 a month in the hole every month. Making single, single, living in an amazing spot here in Southern California, great job, just couldn't manage the budget properly. And we spent six months with him, Dwight, going through literally every category within his budget, every line item, looking at all the transactions, making sure they were recorded correctly, all the boring stuff. And he now has $2,000 a month in excess cash flow. Wow. That's, that's, so I love 20, hearing stories yeah, like that. $2,500 turnaround, 2,500. And he just got, he just got a new job, which he's now going to, he's now making uh, about 40, 40% more than he was making, uh, which is huge. So now that the it's a matter of ensuring that lifestyle creep doesn't come into play where he starts, you know, wanting to feel like he wants to spend more and so on. So we're trying to make sure we, we strategize on socking more money away for retirement and maximizing the 401k and so on. That way, just because he's making more money, he doesn't fall into the trap of starting to spend more and then get back into bad habits. And that's where the value of working with a financial planner and oh, a financial therapist and coach like, like us is huge. Yeah. You know, it's not it is, in performance. It's, it's not in portfolio performance or man, picking the next hot stock and all this other stuff. It's these types of engagements that drive us to do what we do. And, and I think he's, you know, he's going to, he's certainly much better off for it financially. Well, financial planners, lifestyle people that help people with their lifestyle are helping you get out of your own way they're helping you stop you know seeing they're helping you see the forest for the trees they're helping you like i tell my clients all the time my budget like i sat with clients a week ago tomorrow young couple and i've been trying for 10 years and they finally decided let's budget and their realization in their faces as i was putting down and asking them questions okay this is what you think should be in the budget. What about this? What about this? And like, I can see the light bulb moments. And sometimes people, not necessarily that couple, some people will say to me, why would I want to put in a haircut? Well, where does it come out of? Well, it comes out of my bank account. So don't you think we should adjust for the fact that you need a haircut 
every 60 days or, you know, let's say it's a woman and like, what are you spending? Maybe mm-hmm. 90, hundred bucks. Cause you get your hair, you know, colored or whatever. That's all money that comes out. I think the biggest realization, and we'll move on from this unless you have a comment, obviously is when I get to the, the entry for gifts on my on the budget that is one of the most important things that people discount and i'll say to them okay let's start in january let's go all the way to the end of the year right even though we're already mm-hmm. in in yep. june what mm-hmm. do you spend and then click on it let's put a note in you spend 50 on this person this 100 okay now the secret here is are you going to stay that in within that what you say well no sometimes blah 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 blah, yeah. blah. and i'll go well you can't be that way now you tell me on your goal sheets, we just went through your goal sheets. You want this, 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 and that. How bad do you want what you told me you put on here? How bad do you want it? Well, I want it really bad. So what are you willing to literally sacrifice? Are you willing to sacrifice the fact of just throwing money out the window as you drive and mm-hmm. hopefully you get something out of it? Or are you willing to put it down on paper and look at it? But now it's July. You need to go back to June. You need to go back and say the the, the non fixed variable of groceries that we put in six hundred dollars was actually seven sixty. That affects mm-hmm. your bottom line, mm-hmm. and then we can move forward and save more in your your retirement fund, which is obviously broken down into different vehicles. And oh, you wanted to have a cash based vacation, okay? What kind of vacation? We have those conversations, and I like how you talked about like where does your where does your mindset come from. Yeah. I unpacked that with them too. Where did your money, your relationship with money, that money monster, where did it come from? And unpack that so they have that realization. They learned it from whoever, might not even be their parents, right? Absolutely. And what you and I do is so imperative. But unfortunately, there's only so many people in society that are high thinkers and people that are willing that will be able to, to save. And I quit years ago worrying about those that aren't the willing i'll have an Mm -hmm. appointment with them now more video calls used to be face to face Mm -hmm. and i'll just say to them i'll ask them specific questions and watch their body language and i'll just agree to disagree and walk away and let them stay camped in life because i only want to life's short your time and my time is so precious to help out the willing because it's not just about helping them have a successful life it keeps our six inches healthy as well, because now we're not frustrated or stressed or worried about people. Oh, I helped them with this plan. And then six months later, they're right back where they are, maybe six weeks later. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And I mean, we, we could remind this might be a two hour podcast there, Dwight, but uh, oh, oh, dude, the, I haven't even gotten <laughs> everything. We the, yeah, the, There's two things that you, you just mentioned right there that I'll comment on. The first is, sure. is, um, you, you were you were talking about um, I lost my train of thought here, but um, we were talking about um, managing cash budget, flow, bu- managing cash flow, budgeting. Uh, I'll, it'll come back to me. I'll I'll, I'll come back to it. Yeah, I I forget. I, I had a really good point there. I thought it was a really good point. Now it, it's out of my brain. That's okay. <laughs> That's okay. We'll continue on. So you know, bottom line though, man. You know what, like, as a, a side note, whether you are or aren't, I'm a God fearing person. And I prayed, uh, literally had, I prayed about the fact of 
me being able to share the message of what I do with somebody that can resonate at the you know same level. I don't care about highlighting and bringing somebody such as you to my show and encouraging people to reach out to you because you know mm -hmm. what? The world is our oyster. That saying is true. There's so many people out there that need help. You and I in our lifetime, if we never took a minute off, would never be able to help enough people. Right? Oh, absolutely. And people and people that are listening need to know that I'm not a quack. <laughs> that what I teach and do is valuable. And other people in other countries and other you know places in the world are doing the same thing and believe the same and have the same passion. Right. And that's why I was uh, like, honestly, I'm blessed that you're on the show that that you came up in my <laughs> as wanting to be on my show. Well, I, I appreciate that. Just, right. Yeah, I, I did. I did think of the one th one of the things. I'm sorry, listeners. Sure. I'm I'm only on my first cup of coffee today. So <laughs> you, I, need a, you need one I, like I need this. More, you need one like this. A little more caffeine. Yeah, I'm <laughs> a tiny little baby cup here. And plus, I'm, I'm getting old, guys. I'm getting old. So like if, if I don't you're seasoned, start, you're seasoned, you're seasoned, you're not <laughs> old, you're seasoned. It was it, the comment was um, managing your household like a CFO, right? You know, if you if you run a business, you monitor your balance sheet and your profit and loss statement. Why is your life any different, right? Why why are why are you you not managing what's coming in what versus what's going out in the same way that any good business owner would? You are the CFO of you're the CEO and in many ways the CFO of of your household. And I, I tell us all the time with prospective clients, like, you know, if you want us to come in and help you with this stuff, we're going to take over that role. You'll always be the CEO. You're always going to set the direction and set the goals and objectives. And you can hire me and fire me, whatever you want to do. But our job is, is to come in as your family CFO and help you make better financial decisions and look at the nitty gritty. And that's just, uh, you know, to, to piggyback on your comment about some of the budgeting. And uh, that was one of the thoughts I had. The second one, sorry, guys, I, it, it might be gone for good. <laughs> that's okay i call them brain farts the older we the, the older and more seasoned we become the more reality it is it just happens you know? right. that's, right. that's why that's why literally i take down these you look here those watching i take down little notes so that i can look back at it and go oh because i don't want to forget what you've said right yeah, little, it might be just one word so that i can trigger on certain things um, so we're going to, I'm going to skip forward. We definitely will have, we'll end up having you on the show again, uh, in the near future. There's certain things I do want to discuss. So within this episode that really intrigued me. And one of them was you brought it up earlier too, like, like the scariness of estate planning, Ooh, mm. people get all nervous about it. And, you know, people listening and watching, you don't have to be nervous about estate planning life and death is part of life. Why not when you're living, take care of the fact of that if something should occur, a tragedy that your loved ones are taken care of, that is number one in my life. The proper foundation for planning, as you mentioned, there's certain steps we go through. One of my workshops just talks about the foundational things of financial planning properly and having a good foundation before you worry about all the rest, because if our house didn't have a good foundation, how solid is it going to be? Right? So one of the things that I wanted to talk about is what exactly like explain to the listeners and people watching, what exactly is estate planning it and why will it benefit them? And why is it so important to figure it out already 
at a young age as a young adult? Yeah, a great question. Another great question. I'll, I guess I'll ask a question back. You know, we'll use you as kind of a case study here. So, sure. I mean, you mentioned you have five kids. Yeah. Right. Do you love them? Absolutely. Do you want to care for them when you're no longer with us? Absolutely. Do you want them to spend hours and days and weeks and months in the courthouse trying to make heads or tails out of your financial affairs? Absolutely not. That's exactly why we do estate planning. Exactly why we do estate planning. The If you have someone in your life who you love and you want to care for, and you want to make sure that it, if you're no longer with us, if yesterday, if yesterday was the last day of your life, think about it this way. Yesterday was the last day of your life. What does your family do today to get through not only, not just the morning process, but what are they doing today to help make sure that your assets, your investments, your retirement accounts, your, your personal possessions get to the right people in the right place, in the right time frame, and not be bogged down in the court system. At least I know you're in Canada, we're here in the United States, specifically California. If you don't have these documents in place, it could take them two years and a ton of money and a lot of frustration and heartache and everything else to be able to move on with their lives. And, and the documents that we, we help every one of our clients with this, everybody. It's usually, the, it's usually the second or third thing that we work on with them uh, on their roadmap because it is that important. We'll sit with them and make sure that they have, a tr so there are very different documents that are available, but for the younger crowd, we usually do a will-based estate plan. So they, you know, their personal possessions get to whoever, um, whoever the deem necessary and, and it just makes things much more streamlined. It also includes things like healthcare power of attorney and healthcare directives and financial power of attorneys and, and those directives, because the, the estate planning process or the, state, the overarching theme of state, estate planning isn't just based on what happens if you die. It also happens. It also takes into consideration things if you're just laid up in the hospital and you can't speak for yourself. Maybe you've been in an accident and you're on life support. If that happens to you, who's going to be able to step into your shoes and be able to make decisions based on your life? If you don't have these documents in place, and they're very, very basic, and anyone that's listening that thinks that this is going to, it's an incredibly expensive and time-consuming exercise, yeah, it's not. We can put a, we can put a, a we can put a will-based estate plan in place for our clients for about two hundred bucks, and in forty-five minutes. And we don't, we don't, we're not attorneys. So our firm does not document, create all the documents or anything else. We have a, a third party that we use as a, as a partner that we work with. And we can literally sit with our clients, just like we would do with you. Like if you were my client, right? I would let you share your screen with, with me. You would share your screen with me. We would start from the beginning. You, I mean, I would literally sit here and walk you through every page uh, that we're, you know, on the, on the website that we use. And in 45 minutes and a couple hundred bucks, you could have all your affairs in order. And that's, that's what, for us, that's what, that's how we, that, that's how we handle the estate planning process for our clients and now how we would walk them through it. And also some of the key components of, of why it's so incredibly important. You can take, we can take another step further and talk about the trust-based uh, estate planning. Trust-based would be a little more um, beneficial for people that have a reasonable amount of assets. They have, they probably have a home, they probably have a couple kids and they have retirement plans, things of that nature. 
And we usually say, if you have about over $160,000 in assets, you probably want to have a trust-based plan versus a, oh, just a, a will-based plan. Um, but the, the, trust, the trust takes things a little bit further because you can name somebody, uh, you can name guardians for your children. You can name uh, a trustee that will be able to, if you passed away yesterday, go into your home, get it prepared for sale actually sell the property on your behalf and so on. There's you, you get much more control with a trust in many ways than you do with a will, but it's really dependent on what kind of assets you have. But in either case, um, it's, it's not nearly as um, daunting as maybe we've been taught to that it is. And, and if, if you're over the age of 19 and you're no longer living with your mom and dad, at least here in the United States, because that's the, the age of majority here in the United States for most states, you should hundred percent have some of these documents in place because mommy and daddy cannot go to the hospital and tell them that they want to take you off of life support if you're 25 years old. Like that, th that those rules are no longer existing in the United States. You have to get attorneys involved and you probably have to get multiple recommendations and so on. No, you go and, in front of judges. I know I'm familiar yeah. with everything you talk about. Yeah. And it's just, it is so serious. Like I have, you know, some of my adult kids who sometimes listen to my show. They may not like this, but even though I do what I do, my kids don't take it serious. I only have one of the five that I know of that actually has documents in place. And if I ask, then I'm intruding. You yeah. know what I mean? It's But bottom line, it is so important to put your personal directive, your power of attorney, your will. And I do the same things. Like next week, I'm going to that same client that finally let me budget been bugging them i have an estate planning checklist i go through and i put it i discussed it with him again right mm -hmm. and then i get him to sign it I, we talked about it nobody's ever going to come back on me because i've had cases where i know people where they've gone back on the financial planner and say why didn't they, why didn't you talk to him about wills and mm -hmm. well i did i can prove it right so the bottom line they want me to come they've got a will package from a lawyer that i recommend and I do it for free, just like I do the budgeting for free. Why yeah. do I do that? Because if I get business from them, I get paid commissions to my business anyway. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to go help them do their will stuff. And they were like shocked. I said, you know what? Would, would it help if I come over for a couple hours? Because you're going to have to, they're very emotional. It's not going to be no 20 minutes. And it's going to be yeah. a trust-based uh, will system. Sure. I said, I'll help you fill out all the documents. I know exactly what the lawyer is looking for. We can bang it off in probably 45 minutes. And then I looked at them all, oh, maybe two hours because they're pretty, <laughs> have the coffee on. You got, you know, because I know yeah, the lady yeah. pretty well and we'll get through it. We'll get it submitted. You're going to, you're going to get it um, notarized. You're going to get it signed off on and you're going to have something that most people in their thirties don't have peace of mind. Right. Absolutely. It's just, it's such a powerful process. So I appreciate you explaining what it is it is right it is and I, I have the same kind of conversations with people i just make sure that i document it because in today's day and age people are always pointing fingers at other people and forgetting there's three pointing back at them they don't want to take responsibility for the fact that i bring them knowledge and understanding yet they still don't take action that's there right you go from ignorance to stupidity then sounds harsh but it's true Absolutely. We, that's why we take really good notes.
<laughs> Absolutely. Oh, yeah. I document my meeting from before I get there, what I'm going to do. There might be seven steps. And each one I write, okay, we've gone through this. And then when I'm done, they both, if there's one or two, they both sign. And I get them to initial every single entry that I wrote. All right. Perfect. Um, Perfect. Well, just as a side note, you don't know this. I was a compliance officer for just about a decade. I ran a branch. Some people. So so I understand compliance very well. I gave it up because I got tired of getting babysitting grown adults that were aging such no better. And that, and then getting yelled at for not signing off on stuff or, you know what I mean? I give it up already. I don't know, back in 20, 2014, 2015, I said, I've had enough being a branch compliance officer. I was doing it because I still had my own agency, but it was inside of a bigger brokerage. Mm-hmm. And they said, well, do you do this? So I went and got certified, went through all the courses and initially I enjoyed it. Then I started to dislike it. Yeah. Right. So yeah, I understand compliance, compliance very well. <laughs> but it's important. It's, it's, you know, death by compliance. So, well, uh, you, you know what? Mm-hmm. Some of it's a little bit anal, but I understand why it's there because all it takes is one person to to stir up the pot and and cause challenges, right? So, Absolutely. And, and good notes is always a good thing. So, Jamie, you're a certified divorce financial analyst, right? And, you know... In our country, we have similar designations you can get for for doing that. Was the drive for you to do that because you had gone through your uh, divorce yourself? Or was it because you were already helping clients out and, and realized that it was something that you needed to ensure that you give them the best possible service you could as they were proceeding into divorce or already were in divorce, depending on when they come and seen you? Because people come to me that are thinking about it. They're already in it or on the, or they're in the aftershock and they're already gone through it and never sat with anybody. It, it really started early on. I mean, it was stemming from something from my experiences as a kid, right. And, and watching my parents go through their own divorce and managing their finances through it. And, and in 2017, I went through what I would consider a very emotional, very financially draining divorce myself. Um, and, and I had, I, I had always wanted to do, Get the de- I had always wanted to get the designation. I, I finished my CFP, the Certified Financial Planner designation back in 2012 or 13 or something. And I was in the mindset at that time. I mean, you know how it is. And I'm probably sure some of your listeners feel the same way. If they've gone back and gone to school or they've gone to study for different designations or certifications, or what have you, you get into this mindset where the you're in study mode, study mode, study mode. And I went and took the test for the CFP and passed. And I was still in that in that mindset of, of, of what, if I stopped, if I stopped learning at that point, I probably wasn't going to, wasn't going to pick up another designation. So I wanted to do it. And my boss at the time at Fidelity said, you know, we don't really do this work, that kind of work here. So just, you know, stick with the CFP and then move on to some other things. So I took his advice and then sure enough, five years later, I went through my own devastating divorce. Um, And I learned a lot of things going through my own divorce that, you know, well, I, I, I take that back. I learned a lot of things going through the certification process and, and getting this designation that I could have used in my own divorce, because even as a CFP, as somebody who manages finances for people on a daily basis, I still made financial mistakes, you know, based on things like alimony and taxation. And so there's in property division, there were definitely, there were some things here and there where I look back and go, wow, if I had this information, I could have been a much better advocate for myself than allowing just the attorney to be the advocate for me. 
Well, because you can't trust all professionals. I'm sorry. Even yeah. even us as professionals, you should always question and be able to make more informed decisions. And it's tough. I I, mm. I wish I knew the information I know now back when I went through my divorce because I wasn't in the finance industry. I don't I owned a computer consulting firm. So I get it. It sucks not knowing. And then looking back, going that aha moment, geez, if I had done this, I could have saved this or could have made it easier on me mentally or emotionally. Absolutely. And, and the, the, the thing that attorney, nothing against attorneys, but they don't have the financial knowledge that we have, just like we don't have the legal knowledge that they have. So what I tell people, so what I tell people all the time that engage us from a divorce financial planning perspective is your best your your best bet to get through this and and get your and not lose your not lose your shirt and put yourself on a much better path moving forward is to create team you you want to create you want to have a great attorney and you want to have a great certified divorce financial analyst or I don't know what the designation is in Canada I apologize but that person you want and create team you and it may cost you a little bit more money up front but think about it this way would you pay, rather pay us $100 or $150 an hour, which is what our, our rate is at the moment? Would you rather pay me $150 for 10 hours worth of work, roughly? We charge a $1,500 retainer and $150 an hour. We usually do about 10 hours worth of work for every case. Would you rather do that and have somebody who can coordinate with your attorney on all the financial matters, on alimony, on taxes, on property division, on... Um, uh, alimony and child support and all those things, or would you rather just take that money and give it to your attorney so he or she can burn hours at a much higher rate? Usually, I mean, they. I think my oh, attorney four charged, or five, three, four yeah, hundred dollars. Three fifty. Three fifty is three fifty is the lowest that I've seen. So you're looking at three fifty yeah. to five hundred dollars an hour. And what do they do, Dwight? They go well. We're going to try to figure out this settled property settlement situation. So. Let me email opposing counsel. Let me call opposing counsel. Send me some documents so I can review. Then they email each other. And the next thing you know, the whole time, even as I'm saying this, all I can hear in the back of my mind is tick, 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 tick. Ching, the clock, ching, the, the clock is ticking, right? The clock is ticking. <laughs> and yeah. I probably, I, I don't even want, I would be embarrassed to tell you how much money that we spent on our divorce, but I would be venture to guess that if I had a CDFA in my corner or if I had the knowledge that I had now, it would be about half. It would be about half. I oh, would've, I would have yeah. made less mistakes too, brother. Yeah. It, it's yeah. terrible because I, I, when I go to Ching, I can, you know, I, I remember looking at the detailed list of things that I had to pay for from paper clips to staples. They charged me for photocopies, faxes. They charged for everything. And they'd, they'd say, send me this, or we're going to email opposing cons. Why, you, you know, the knowledge I have now would have been like, why do you need to email them? Yeah. Oh, I, I get why you're emailing them. You, you're cha-ching, cha-ching. I'm your ATM. I'm your cash machine. Yeah. And again, not all lawyers are like that because I've, I have some great lawyers in my corner now that I refer people to. But in any profession, financial planning, lawyers, doctors, accountants, it don't matter. You got mm. people that are money-based. They're not relationship people-based, right? Wouldn't Absolutely. you agree? 100%. 100%. I love that team you. <laughs> I like that <laughs> team you. See, you know, in my practice, when I sit with a couple, I'm very methodical about communicating with them. You know what? 
we're going to do planning in regards to the fact that you might not work out. And I don't do that to everybody, but I can see mm -hmm. the forest for the trees with some people sitting down with them and the angst and the body language. And they, I'm in between them. They're not sitting together. And, and I'll talk to them about stuff. You know what? If something was to happen, you guys want the best interests of your children, correct? Of course we do. Great. So as we're planning and we're going through this, we're going to also plan for the tragedy of your, you know, maybe you guys don't work out. Would that be okay so that your kids are okay so that they don't have to be part of the fallout? And I get people looking at me going, um, um, they don't know what to say because, and I've had, I never used to, it's only been in a, probably the last mm -hmm. half of my career where I literally am that decisive and, and blunt with them because I can see it. And then we go through the process of understanding that we want to avoid taxation as much as possible, not just for estate planning, but for, you know, division of property. We want to understand, you know, if something should happen in that process and one of you passes away, the kids are still going to be okay. The surviving person is going to have money. And, you know, it's way more detailed listeners and people watching than I'm making it out. But it is so imperative going through today's society where the number one cause of divorce is financial strife that we plan, that we think about it. You know, every, not everything's wedding bliss six months no. in, you know, it, it can quickly disappear. Now you understand the nuances of their childhood versus yours. Now you have conflicts. A lot of those conflicts, if you sit down and budget and learn the rules of the money game and learn your ins flows and outflows, your life would be that much better. Mm -hmm. And since you haven't done that, we're going to start the process. But if it doesn't work for you, we're also going to discuss exit, right? <laughs> it's, and, and people people think that's harsh, but I get more people than not saying to me, we appreciate that. Half, half of marriage, having a successful marriage is equivalent to a coin flip. Mm. That's a good way to put it. Having a successful marriage is equivalent wow. to, to a coin flip. Wow. And you're, gonna and, you're gonna and you're gonna and you're gonna tell me that we're not gonna sit down and we're not gonna have a conversation about like I, I have conversations right now and I have a, a gal that's they're getting married in October, a young couple, and we we've talked three or four times about their prenup. Yeah, right. I do. And too. I'm not I'm not there. I'm not an attorney and I don't they I, hate the I didn't bring up the word, but thank you for doing that. I I, I avoided I, it because it's like it's like the word budget. People hate people hate it. It's like, what? We're talking about a prenup. Well, you love your kids, don't you? <laughs> or you love your future kids, don't well, you? Yeah, love your like, future kids. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, absolutely. I love this conversation. So, Jamie, if you had to give our listeners one last closing message, what would you tell them in regards to giving a heck and never giving up? Wow, we covered a lot in our call today. I, I feel like it's it, the the biggest takeaway today, if if anything, for your listeners would be going back to what we said about not wallowing in it, regardless of where you are today, what station of life you are re related to your marriage, your finances, your career, your business, if you have one, being able to get up every day and one put, put one foot in front of the other and just keep moving 
and not wallowing in it along the way when things, you know, I'm not going to say when you're having a bad day, cause we're, we're going to have a bad moment when you're having those bad <laughs> moments. I wasn't picking on you when I said when you, that. That's okay. No, when you, when, when you have those bad moments, which sometimes can last 24 hours. Uh-huh. Um, but you, so, so when you have those bad moments, it's, it's very, very important to not wallow in it and, and, and brush yourself off, you know, get up and, and, and find your motivation, whether that's your family, whether that's um, some other loved one, your kids, uh, your ego, whatever it is, that's going to get you up and running because we all have setbacks. We all have setbacks. I, I can, every, every year of my life, I can, if I, I could probably think of something that would have set me back and set me in a different direction. And some things, some of the setbacks in my life were the best things that ever happened to me, right? Like we didn't even talk about the job situation that I was in when I left Fidelity and how I was the, the subject of a major bait and switch by another company, wow. which, which actually propelled me into launching my own company. You know, I went, I, I left, I left the confines of a major organization with, a, with, uh, you know, I was paid well and major, major benefits and everything else. And I left with the hopes and promises of this, this organization that were, they were providing me. And within six weeks, they wipe, basically cut my salary in half and changed the entire rules of the game that we agreed to. And I had to look in the mirror and go, what do I want to do? I want to stay with this company or do I want to go somewhere else? I could have easily, easily put my head down and just sucked it up and stayed at that company and just did what I had to do because I have financial responsibilities for my family. Instead, I went in a completely different direction, launched my company and now launched a second company to help people with their fi divorce financial planning needs. And we're serving people all over the country. We have, I have five amazing advisors on my team. I'm, I'm meeting people like you every day. There's a lesson in that too. And so, so those, if, if you just, don't wallow in it and you, and you, and not, it's okay to wallow in it, but not for too long. You've got to keep moving. Agreed. And, you know, I appreciate the, the fact of the, of the bringing up about the bad day, you know, people don't think I'm judging you ever. You can have your bad days. I know for me, what I coach on and work on is to stop doing that because I, I found that I would wallow more than 24 hours. Sometimes it would suck me into a quagmire of a sand pit and I'd be going down that quicksand route. And, you know, it's just not a great way to be. So everybody in life, like I tell them, you do you, I'll do me. If what I do for me helps you, I'm willing to share. I'm willing to help because I'm a working project till the day I take my last breath and one other thing I wanted to add, you mentioned in, in your last closing message, things, people happen for us, not to us. As you mentioned, mm -hmm. there was things that it was imperative that it happened to you because you don't, you may at the time, you don't appreciate it, but you look back at it and it changed your course. It was a course correction for you. So I constantly tell myself that too. It doesn't always work. Just like that no. bad moment, bad day doesn't always work, but things happen for me not to me. There's a things that are happening that I don't understand the big cosmic picture of it, but it will always come to me later on. And I'll have that aha moment and goes, you know what? That was great. That happened. Yeah. Right. One, one of my advisors uses the analogy of, of being on a, a, a flight, right? Like if I'm, if you're leaving Vancouver, going to Quebec, you're, are you going to, is it a straight line? 
Never, no. right? It's always you're you're changing altitudes, you're turning left, you're turning right, you're going around weather, you, you know, you're taking off early, you're taking off late. Yeah, you know, there's there's, but you're ultimately going to get to your final destination. And all of our final destinations is six feet in the ground. Absolutely. And, and how how you get there, it's it's up to you to figure out what what direction you take and and how you course correct. Yeah, I totally agree. So our time is almost up, but I want to respect our listeners in your time. However, before we end, can you please tell the listeners what is the best way to reach out to you? Great question. Uh, so we the best way is we have two different websites set up, um, but I'll, I'll just give you the main one because okay. that will lead you to all my contact information. So if you go to woodsonwm.com, that's W-O-O-D-S-O-N-W-M.com. We are at the base of Mount Woodson here in San Diego. So that's where our namesake comes from. Sweet. And, and all my contact information is there. Uh, it'll, it, you can also direct to the divorce financial planning website that we have. We have to run two separate companies because for, for legal reasons, um, because we, we, um, uh, we can do some, some uh, witness, uh, expert witness work and so on. And we can't do that underneath the financial planning umbrella. So we have two different companies set up for one for divorce planning, one for one for the traditional financial planning stuff, uh, which is the woodsonwm.com where you can get all the, all the contact info. Sweet. I'll make sure for those new to the show, um, go to www.giveaheck.com, hit on the podcast portal button. There's a specific portal just for the podcast. You'll see um, Jamie's face and below there, you'll see abbreviated show notes. And I'll ensure that the contact information is there for those of you that are in the area of the U.S. that can utilize Jamie's services. If you're nervous, never be afraid to reach out to me. If you believe that you're comfortable enough, reach out to me. I do it quite often. The last 40, 140 some episodes, I'll direct and make that introduction to Jamie so that you can get the help that you deserve to live that purposeful life. So any last closing things that you'd like to add or say, Jamie, before I close the show out? No, I think it was an amazing experience. Uh, I, I hope your listeners garnered some some tidbits of uh, here from our conversation. And I guess relating to contacting me, um, don't be, again, don't be nervous contacting me. I'm in, I have a thousand financial advisors in my, in my Rolodex, so to speak, where if, if we're not a fit, we'll help you get to the right place for sure. Um, and we work with people all over the country. So we're not just, we don't have to be pigeonholed and working with somebody That's uh, awesome. in, in San Diego. We, we do work, we're hundred percent virtual so we can work any with anyone across the country. Um, that's, so, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. We're and, just here and, to help. Oh, and, and that's, that's the most important thing that's been said. You're here yeah. to help. I'm yeah. here to help. And people realize that, you know, it's never too late to give a heck about your life. And it starts with having mentors. It starts with having people such as Jamie and his team. And one of the things you just said that you're willing to refer to others, that's amazing. It's not about you. It's about the end result of serving mankind and humankind, right? So I appreciate that. So thanks so much for being on. Give a heck, Jamie. I appreciate your time and sharing some of your experiences so that others too can learn. It is never too late to... Give a heck. Thank you for taking time out of your day and listening to Give a Heck. If you find value, I'd appreciate you sharing with your friends and family so they too can learn how to live life on purpose, not by accident. So you do not miss the next episode. Please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and please also post a review. 
I look forward to reading your comments. This has been Dwight Heck. If you want to check out other podcast episodes or today's show notes, please check out my website, giveaheck.com. And until next time, together let us all strive to give a heck.